gods, and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. You've probably spent a good amount of your working life in brainstorms. But Jake Knapp, design partner for Google Ventures, says that time is wasted. He recently released a book called Sprint about an entirely different way to come up with and test your ideas. We're going to chat about how that works and why you might want to consider ditching that weekly brainstorm on your calendar. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. So, Jake, I want to start off by talking about something that you absolutely hate, which is <laughs> group brainstorms. Can you tell me where that hatred came from, what it is about brainstorms that's so repulsive? I actually began by loving group brainstorms, and I think that that a lot of people do, and for good reason, because they're fun. They're It's fun to, to do group brainstorms, and I have been making software for a long time, almost 20 years. And, and you know, a lot of that time we would, on our teams, we would brainstorm. I just saw a photo of myself from 10 years ago today and at a workshop and uh, we were in a group brainstorm and I had this really Amazing. like, yeah, I had this really like puzzled look on my face. And I think it reflects what often happens at the end of the group brainstorm when the ideas are just like often shallow, you know, they don't, they don't have the, the depth that individually produced ideas have. And so what happened, and I spent, I actually spent a few years at Google doing group brainstorms, conducting them for different teams. And, and what happened is I lost faith in them because nothing that came out of those brainstorms ever went on to make it into the real world. They, those, those ideas just kind of fizzled. And meanwhile, there were these other ideas people were coming up with on their own, and, you know, when they were taking a walk or in the shower or whatever. And those were the ideas that stuck. And so I I sort of set out to try to find a way to harness those ideas to reproduce some of the things that work well about a group brainstorm. You know, you have a structured activity that people are doing together, but use it to, to generate stronger work. As an alternative to brainstorming, you came up with this idea of sprints. Can you, for someone who hasn't ever heard of this, uh, walk us through how a sprint is structured and how it's different from a brainstorm? So in a typical group brainstorm, what will happen is a group of people will get together in a room and they'll start shouting out ideas. And sometimes there's structure within the brainstorm. Sometimes you're following specific brainstorming rules. And, but usually what happens is everyone's kind of shouting out loud, trying to come up with the craziest, wackiest idea they can and trying to come up with as many ideas as possible, building on each other's right, ideas. Yeah. And yeah, and, you know, and it's fun. It's, it's like it's a very energizing experience for most people. For, I mean, actually, if you're introverted, it can be kind of terrible. But, but, uh, but for some folks, it's, it's a yeah, lot of fun. Yeah, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, yeah. And so actually the part of the idea with the, with the sprint is you're, you're not going to do it just over the course of an hour or two hours or even a day. It's actually, it's five days. It's a whole week. And the team, the whole team clears their schedule for that week. So the biggest difference actually from the get-go is you have enough time to make meaningful progress. When you leave a brainstorm, you have a pile of sticky notes. But when you leave a sprint, you have a prototype that you've tested. And that's a very big difference because the biggest flaw with brainstorms actually often is that there's no way to take action afterwards and the ideas will just kind of dissolve into the ether when the brainstorm's over. But there's also a very specific difference with how we 
come to those ideas in the sprint. And it's that on, on Tuesday, and we have different activities that we do each day, on Tuesday of the sprint, when we're coming up with solutions, every person works individually. They're sketching their own solutions. They're putting a lot of detail into it. They're making those solutions anonymously so that the other people on the team won't have to judge based on their perception of, you know, if that person has good ideas or is new to the team. You won't know. You just judge on the, on the idea. And that makes a really big difference. And it makes a big difference for, for introverts and extroverts alike. Yeah, so when you're talking about modifying a process like that that is meant to help you generate ideas, it's, it's very meta. It's, you know, yeah. how do you create a new way to brainstorm without brainstorming? <laughs> right, yeah. Well, so the... A lot of the things that are in, and you know, we're kind of talking about this design sprint process, right? That I run and that that we we do at Google Ventures with our startups. And the idea with the with the sprint is that it's like five days. You're going to go from some big problem that your team is is tackling, and you run this step by step recipe. And by the end of the week, you've got a prototype of one or more different solutions, and it's and you're testing it with customers one on one. And so that whole idea of like Let's take a week and like have this recipe. It didn't come all at once. It kind of came from trying to take some some design thinking workshops that I had seen and modify them and kind of hack on and add on these sort of like hackathons that teams at Google would do. And over time, I started to sort of realize that at every point in the process, you could try to optimize what what happened at that step, you know, and you could you could have like a specific activity that made the best of groups are good at doing some things and poor at doing other things. And and individuals are really good at doing some things. And then they don't have all the information or all the context to do other things as well. And so you could kind of. If you if you really highly structured it, which sounds really like dorky and annoying and, and frustrating, but actually it, it unleashes the power of teams to focus on what's really important, solve the problem and not have to think about how to get there. Absolutely. So you've written an entire book on this. So this is just a little bit reductionist, but you know, let's say my company wanted to start this tomorrow. What are the elements I need to make this successful? I know you talk about small groups. How do you choose who's part of that group? The team is totally crucial to get having a good sprint. And you want to have, I think most importantly, the decider in the room. So the decision maker for this project has got to be involved in the sprint. Now, she doesn't have to necessarily be in the room the whole time. If you've got a bigger company, sometimes that's impossible. But she's got to be there for at least a few cameo appearances. And then for the whole week, you're going to want to have the core people who are actually working on the project. So this isn't some special creative team that goes off and does the sprint. You're going to want to have no more than seven people and you want to have somebody who has, you know, expertise on the customer. So somebody who's, whether they're in sales or customer support or doing research, but somebody who's talking to customers all the time. You want somebody like that in the room. You want somebody in the room who knows how to build whatever the thing is that you're building. So if that's an engineer or, you know, whatever, an ops specialist, whatever it might be. You want to have somebody who's used to talking to the customer, like a marketing expert. You're going to want to have a, you know, like if you have like a designer, a product person on your team, you basically want a diverse set of skills. And also you want to have like a troublemaker. Like if there's somebody on your team who's difficult to deal with, it's often a good idea to bring them into the sprint because those contrary ideas will often yield a stronger result. Yeah, it sounds like you're balancing personalities in addition to balancing roles. Yeah, I mean, you you just want to embrace conflict. I think it's conflict is is really good. And in a sprint, you can have two or three solutions at the end of the week that you're 
testing head to head against each other, and you you want to have those those viewpoints in the room. You want to have people who are going to come up with the idea that challenges everyone else's idea, because unlike what often happens in when teams work together, in a sprint we're not trying to come to consensus. We're actually very happy to have a conflict that goes all the way through to the end and and find out in the real you know in our sort of simulation of the real world which idea is the best. Yeah, that's an important point. I think that a huge differentiation is the goal here is not consensus. So you don't end up kind of compromising to the middle. You're actually trying to find what is the solution that's going to work. What's the riskiest part of the process? Where is it most likely to break down? One of the big risks is to not have the the decider involved. So if you run a sprint and your decider thinks like, yeah, you know, I can't make it or this isn't that important, then the, you might run a great sprint, you might come up with an excellent solution at the end of your design sprint and nothing will happen because, you know, it doesn't match her strategy. That's, you know, important. You got to get that person in the room. The other things that I think often trip up sprints is when people cut them short. Sprint sounds very fast. I used that word because I wanted people to be excited about trying this new thing and people are often looking for faster ways to do things. You're spinning it a little bit. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah. But but you can't you can't cut off the the Friday and Thursday. So I'll just quickly run through what happens in the sprint. Monday you make a map of the whole problem space together. Tuesday you make those individual sketches. Wednesday you decide which of those sketches are the strongest. Thursday you build this realistic prototype or sometimes more than one prototype. And then on Friday you test your prototype one-on-one with five target customers. So it's kind of like fast-forwarding into the future to see the finished product in the market. And if you if you cut off Thursday and Friday, if you try to run a shorter sprint, then you don't ever find out if those, like what that thing would look like if you made it real. You don't find out how your customers would react. And that's the big payoff. That's the whole point of the sprint. So because the first few days and the script that we've designed for those first few days of activities works really well, people are often tempted to say like, well, that's much better than what we're doing now. Let's at least just do that. But you lose a big amount of the benefit if you cut it short. Do you ever find yourself having to cycle back to the beginning? So you get to Wednesday and somehow it becomes very clear that where you are right now is just not going to work. Is it important to push through to the end of the week or do you ever start anew? It actually, it is important to push through and it seems like this is actually a, co- a very common question and I think it, it's, it's, like, it's like a little nerve-wracking to kind of say like we're going to embark on this, on this five-day thing and we're just going to trust this, this script. Right? Like in the book, at the end of the book, there's like a checklist for how you run the sprint and it's like literally like 14 or 15 pages long. <laughs> so it's, it's like you're like, really? Like this? So we're going to do this? But what happens is that it, it just kind of works and I, you know, you kind of, you have to trust But if you get to Wednesday, by the time you get to Wednesday, you've got a good sprint team. If you've got those folks together, you'll have interesting solutions. By the time you get to Wednesday, you'll be itching to prototype and and try some of them. And I've never gotten to the point where we got to Wednesday and we looked at the sketches and just thought, oh, there's nothing here. You know, nobody came up with anything. People on working on important problems, you know, and these, it it warrants an important problem if you're going to do a sprint, will have interesting ideas about how to solve it. And that is always the case. And I found that this kind of structure really brings those ideas out. Nice. Well, okay, so let's take it from the conceptual to the practical. Okay. 
Um, what are some of some places that you've seen sprints work? Uh, what companies have you have tried them? Uh, anything you can tell us in, in by way of example? Yeah, I'll tell you an example that uh, I often use to illustrate what a sprint is like and kind of how it works. It's this, with this company called Slack, who I think a lot of folks have heard of. But if, sure. if, if any of listeners haven't heard of it, it's a tool for teams to share messages and, you know, just kind of do team work collaboration. And Slack, when at the time that this sprint occurred, this is in like early 2015, they were just growing like crazy. They were, they were doing great. But at that point in time, most of their customers were tech companies. And right. the, you know, tech companies are, it's easier for tech companies to adopt a new software tool because they're adopting new software tools kind of all the time. So that's not a weird thing for them to do. And many of them are familiar with some of the ideas that are in Slack, like plugging into different services and a group chat room even, you know, that's kind of one of the ideas. Yeah. And also there's a lot of like, Word of mouth. So like one tech company might be using it and then somebody would say like they'd be talking to their friends and say like, oh, we're using this thing called Slack. It's really great. So that was awesome for them. All of those things were helping them like a ton, but there's only so many tech companies in the world. And if you are, you know, ambitious about the audience for your product, you can't just have it work for tech companies alone. So they they wanted to reach everybody. And they had raised a bunch of money, partly from Google Ventures, where I work, and they were thinking about like, okay, what are we going to do like to reach that much broader audience? Those folks who are, have never heard of Slack or not in a tech company at all. And they were going to launch this huge advertising campaign, so like magazines, billboards, like buses, like everything. And I mean, like the sides of buses, not like advertising buses. Oh, I don't, God, think, I don't yeah. think that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, but so they were they were going to launch that ad campaign, but they they wanted to make sure that they capitalized on the people who saw the ads. So if you saw the ad, you'd never heard of Slack, you know, you're just you you're driving down the highway, you see a billboard and you're like, "Oh, like I'd like to get 48% less email or whatever it was." That was I think one of their their headlines. I'll check out slack.com. The folks who went there, they really needed to convert those people, especially because as a startup, like you don't have that many chances to run like a nationwide advertising campaign. If it doesn't go well, that might be your only shot. So anyway, it's a long little build up there. But what happened was Slack wanted to really optimize their way that they described Slack. And they wanted to make sure that if somebody came into Slack, they would not only get what it was about, but be so convinced that they'd be willing to you know, sell it on their team. Because you have to then convince your whole team to try Slack, which is pretty tough. And they yeah. went into their sprint. They, they had an idea that they brought in, which is something that a lot of times you want to do in a sprint, bring in an existing idea and just use the sprint to try it out. And that idea was an idea from the CEO, Stuart Butterfield. He's super smart, uh, you know, accomplished CEO. He's founded, it's not his first company. He also founded Flickr. And he had this idea that if, if you could get people into kind of a, almost like a video game of Slack, like a simulation you know, of Slack where you were talking to chatbots that seemed like a team and you were talking back and forth, that that would simulate using Slack and people would get it and they would be like, oh, I can see why this would be so much better if I was doing this at work. I want, but they I have want to, to live the out. experience. Yeah, they have to live the experience. Exactly. It's like when you start playing a video game, and uh, it's been a long time since I've played a video game, but back in the you know 90s when I was playing like Zelda or whatever, you'd start playing, and it would be like you would learn by playing, you know, and that's kind of the right. idea. So it's it was like a super smart idea, ambitious, and in order to prototype it, the people on the team had to you know in their sprint they they sketched that out, they sketched out some other solutions, and. 
they prototyped it by actually like pretending to be chatbots themselves. So many people on the team were pretending to be bots and they were typing into this UI. And as they tested with one customer after another, those people were chatting with these bots and it was people just kind of pretending to be not super smart, kind of typing typing back and forth as the chatbots might do. And anyway, it turned out that that idea totally confused people. It, people were just like, I have no idea what's going on. Like, why am I in this fake work thing? Like, what's, what is this thing all about? They, did, they just didn't get it. So it sounds like the sprint sort of failed, right? Because like they, you know, they spent their week, they came up with these solutions, they prototyped it, they tested it, and, and it, it didn't work. But there's sort of two silver linings to it. The first one is that it would have taken them months to build that chat UI to make it work. I mean, you know, any kind of artificial intelligence, even if it's not that intelligent, is kind of hard to do. So, um, so they saved a lot of time on what proved to be a, a bad idea. And that's one thing that can happen in a sprint is you learn something's not promising. But the other thing is that they also tested a competing idea that came up in the sprint, which was a very sort of straightforward step-by-step -step explanation of how Slack worked and what the benefits were. So as you started using it, it would step-by-step -step reveal different parts. And that tested great. People totally understood it. They were like, I get this thing. I, I would try this thing. They still had more work to do. They still had to do like another sprint and continue to, to get that product right. But that's what they ended up building and, and launching. And like when they launched their ad campaign, they had excellent conversion. If you if you search for like yeah. Slack growth, the chart is just like ridiculous. And you can go back to like you know February 2015 and see where it was. And it's just been super steep since then. So that's like a really, you know, nice yeah. outcome. And obviously most of that growth, it comes because they have an excellent product. It's not just because of the sprint. But that's the kind of thing you do in a sprint. You test a risky idea, you find out if it's going to work or not, and you can test multiple ideas. And you do it in the beginning before you've made that investment. I really like that example because it not only does it sort of bring to life this concept and this approach, but it also, I think when you first start thinking about Springs, you're thinking in terms of product development. Yeah. Um, but that's an example that falls outside of product development into marketing and communication and other business problems that can be solved. The final question I have for you is sort of related to that, this, the adaptability of the sprint model, which is, do you, can you see sprints working, you know, in your personal life or as an individual practice uh, outside of the, this world of kind of product and marketing development? Yeah, totally. I think that a lot of the principles that are at play in a sprint and the things that we've found to work, and we've had this really unusual experience because over the past five years, you know, I've gotten to work with um, probably like 150 different companies doing sprints and, and really like get to get to sort of experiment with their workday in the context of, of conducting these sprints and see what, what works and what doesn't work. And a lot of the principles totally translate into what an individual can do. So one of the ideas is just quite simply to like make a prototype of something before you invest in it, before you commit. And yeah. if you give yourself a limited amount of time and you ad adopt this mindset that I'm going to throw it away and it's okay to throw away the prototype, you know, which is actually a little hard. It actually, you have to, you know, that's not that's the way we normally think about itself. things. Yeah. But like, as an example, when I was starting the process of writing the book, I made a prototype of the book first to see if I thought it was, you know, really a good idea. 
and, and partly to show to other people, but partly to see myself, because that's one of the big benefits of a design sprint is you get to see for yourself, what would it look like if we did this thing? And so I, you know, I've made a, the first few pages, like sort of the table of contents and the first few pages building from some blog posts I had. And I made a fake cover and which looks nothing like the actual cover um, and, you know, printed yeah. it out and wrapped it around a hardcover book. So I can be like, OK, this is what it would be like if there was a book about about the sprint process. I love that. And, you know, and I limited, I was like, I'm only going to give myself like X number of hours to do this. And then at the end, like, I'm totally okay throwing it away. I'm not going to try to make it perfect. And that was, that was huge for me. Like that helped me feel like this is a tangible thing and it's exciting. And I could picture myself doing that kind of work on it. And like, if it was done, you know, and, and our whole team, all of the, all of us who worked on it together got excited about it. But there's, there's all kinds of like little things in the, in the, the book and in the process that I think can work well for individuals. And like one sort of silly example, and I can kind of go on and on, but one sort of, you know, it's, sure. it's sort of silly, but I think it's actually a big deal. We found that it, what you eat during the day has a huge impact on your productivity. So if you like, and that doesn't sound crazy, but it actually is a lot different than the way productivity is usually thought of, which is like optimize what you do, optimize your checklist or your email inbox or whatever. It makes a huge difference to have good snacks and good breaks and to not have the working hours go too long on the sprint day and to have everybody eat lunch together, not doing other work, but just talking to each other. There's all these kind of like energy boosts that we get from good food and from from talking to, you know, our colleagues and, and not sitting at the desk and looking at the screen. And we've seen what happens when we do that and when we don't do that and the kind of the kind of energy that you maintain throughout the day. And that stuff absolutely works and and it makes a huge difference. Having having work time where there's no screens, no laptops, no phones, because when we're in the sprint we shut those things off. That yeah. focus time makes a huge difference. Having big blocks of time on consecutive days so that everything you load into your head stays in your head and you're actually able to build on it day after day after day, that works also for individuals and not just for teams. So there's a lot of things in there that can be taken either all together. You can do a sprint. You can take all the pieces and run a whole sprint on your own, or you can just take little bits of it and, and try it out. And I think it, it's there's a lot there. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jake, the book is Sprint. You can find it at thesprintbook.com, correct? And then yeah, that's right. on Amazon and bookstores and wherever else you acquire books. But it's amazing how just the right formula of a thousand little things from what you eat to the people who are in the room to the way you structure your week can be the difference between a productive idea and one that falls to the wayside. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, you could rate and review us on iTunes. It makes a huge difference and helps spread the word. And if you want to drop us a line, we're always around on Twitter at The Gross Show. We'll be sure to respond. Thank you.